Peace be with you. Hey, welcome to Sojourn. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Marshall. Uh, I'm one of the pastors in our sort of larger uh, family of churches. I had the uh, joy and privilege of planting Sojourn Montrose almost uh, six years ago now. Uh, and now I actually get to serve our family of churches um, as the pastor of church planting. And so my responsibilities have shifted greatly um, over the last seven months or so. Um, but it's a joy and privilege to be able to still uh, share the pulpit and actually to be able to share it um, across our, our family of churches. And so it's a joy to be with you really and truly. Um, and it is always uh, wonderful not only to, to sort of know uh, philosophically that I've got this family out there throughout sort of the different uh, parts of, of Houston that we currently reside in, but to actually be with you. And so um, I do bring you greetings uh, on behalf of the saints uh, at Sojourn Montrose. Uh, it's a joy for them also uh, to be able to send me here, uh, hopefully as an encouragement to you, but also for them uh, to send their encouragements with me. And so uh, we're encouraged by your faithfulness to Jesus in this part of Houston that we do not reside in. Um, and it brings us great joy and ultimately uh, great trust in the Lord and the work that he wants to do uh, in Houston, uh, saving people from their sin, from their darkness, from their slavery, and drawing them into the new land of his promises, his kingdom, his grace, his love, and his mercy. And so again, uh, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to be with you this morning and for being a part of our uh, greater sojourn family. Um, if you're a guest and all that is unfamiliar. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about Sojourn. I'm sure uh, lots of the other Sojourners here would also uh, enjoy that conversation as well. So I'd, I just encourage you to take um, whatever means of connection uh, feel most appropriate to you uh, this morning, whether it's the connect card or coming to talk to someone. Uh, we just, we'd love to get to know you. Um, with all that said, this morning we're going to continue, like, uh, like was said, our journey uh, through the book of Exodus. And the passage we just read, especially when we read it in light of last week's passage, is, is a difficult one, right? We continue to sit in this tension uh, where the, the Lord, the God, Yahweh, uh, the, the king of the universe, um, is about to levy uh, one of his most severe judgments, at least one of the most severe ones that we have available to us, especially in in this particular part of his word. And, and it probably brings to mind a question, at least, it, at least it did for me in reading chapters 11, really all the way through 12, and, and that's a, a very simple one. It's, it's, is God just? Is God just? Right, like in, in all of the things that are taking place here, can we look at what takes place? Can we look at this event? Can we look at what's going to happen to these Egyptians and answer that question in the affirmative? For some of us, it might be more easy than others. Um, but my hope is that as we walk through the remainder of this Passover event, this death of the firstborn, that we will see that in fact, we do serve a God who is just, but who is not only just. Now, we must remember as we proceed this morning that this, this exodus is not um, something that happened to some random group of people uh, many, many years ago, right? We're not, uh, we're not separated from this 
by time in the way that maybe we think we are. The Exodus is our story, not the history of some irrelevant foreign nation. It is the history of God's holy nation, which Romans 9 through 11 tells us we now as Gentiles, those of us who are non-Jew in the room this morning, have been grafted into. And so it's, a, it's according to that reality that we must allow this word not only to instruct us, but to shape us. We've been given an explicit command in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 by Paul to read this specifically as though it were for us. We are to apply this narrative directly to our 21st century Christian lives. So this is our family history and it's our present reality. We are an Exodus-shaped people with an Exodus-shaped savior doing Exodus-shaped work in a world that desperately needs, you guessed it, an Exodus. And so let's pray and then we will jump in. More for me than for you. She did a great job of praying for you guys. Father, um, again, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together. Uh, Thank you for your word that is here before us. Pray, Lord, that it would nourish and sustain us, Father, that it would be a healthy and wholesome meal, that it would, in fact, shape us, that it would change who we are, Lord, that we might be transformed this morning by the renewing of our minds. Lord, may this not only be a mental exercise, but may it massage the heart and mold it into what you would have us to be as your people. And we know this morning, Father, that that is impossible apart from the ministry of your spirit to us. So we pray that your spirit would be present among us even now, speaking your words through your written word to your people. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So here we have the beginning of what is this cataclysmic event that was, that was foretold last week in chapter 11. And I want us to recall a little bit about what, what the Lord is up to here. He's going to level a judgment on, on all of Egypt, right? We didn't read this, but in verse 29, this is what happens. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all of the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead." So there's a depth and a breadth to the suffering that comes upon the people of Egypt in this moment. And this, again, remember, this is not a moment that the Lord is absent from or that he's not looking upon. Like he was, he was engaged in some other matter and this took place without him knowing. No, this is something that the Lord said he was going to do just in the last chapter. the firstborn son of every household in Egypt. There's a depth of suffering, but there's also a breadth of suffering, right? It's, it's all of Egypt. It's from Pharaoh, right, to the firstborn 
of the captive in the dungeon. And it tells us that because of this, there's a great cry that echoes out over all of Egypt. It's hard to imagine that. It's hard to imagine this nation of people collectively as they wake up discovering that there is someone within their house that has passed away in the night, collectively voicing a lament, collectively crying out. Again, this is hard to embrace, right? This is our God. This is the God that we claim. This is the God of our people, right? The people that we just said we've been grafted into who has brought this judgment upon this people. Now, I'm sure you did all of the the context work last week, and so I I don't want to belabor it, but let's remind ourselves. What is it that makes God just in this instance? Because to be honest, if we read this in isolation, it's very easy to look at and say, is God just? Well, case closed. Absolutely not. How could something this terrible be just? But you see, the Lord has made it very clear, even throughout the short amount of scripture leading up to the Exodus, but even throughout the rest of the Bible, he's been very consistent in making us aware of the fact that when we worship other gods, that when we are idolaters that we have signed up for, we have chosen in that instance, death for ourselves, right? That's Adam and Eve in the garden. That's the iniquity that follows throughout the rest of Genesis. It's all of us, it's all of us choosing over and over again to worship something or someone else. And God justly punishes that. But let's also remember that this, these Egyptian people um, are not what you would call innocent necessarily. Right? These Israelite people have been enslaved now for 400 years. So that means if you were to take that into our context, um, America 400 years ago was negative 157 years old. Not only that, you'll remember just a a few short chapters ago that Pharaoh also tried at one point to commit genocide, didn't he? He said to the Hebrew midwives, he said, listen, when, when Hebrew women are about to give birth, if it is a male, you should kill it. Right, Pharaoh is genocidal, he is nationalist, maybe you would call it. He's all about the purity of this Egyptian peoples, right? That's ultimately what gives them this anxiety and what leads them into this moment. And so the Lord is justly judging this. We don't want a God who's not just, who doesn't levy judgments over evil. We don't want that, right? None of us are upset that Hitler ended in the ditch that he ended in, right? I hope not. He's a God of judgment. He absolutely is. It cannot be denied from this text. But there is a purpose for this judgment, isn't there? And that purpose was given to us last week. 
It said this in chapter 11, verse nine. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. In other words, I just warned him that this would happen. He will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Right, that God's glory might be made known in all of Egypt. That God's glory might be revealed in all of Egypt. There would be no challenger to his glory, to his might, to his strength, right? That's what all of the plagues ultimately are about, is God essentially one by one, God by God saying, stronger than him, stronger than him, stronger than him, stronger than him. And here in Pharaoh's case, finally, the, the, the God over all of them, the God in Egypt, stronger than him too. But it's a judgment in which God intends to bring grace. And, and let, me, let me show you how that is. We didn't read this part either, so read with me. Chapter 12, starting in verse 36. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, that is the Israelite people, so that they let them have what they asked. And they had asked for gold and silver. And so they plundered the Egyptians. They took their riches and their treasure. Verse 37, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. What's happening here? You see, this is not just an exodus of the Hebrews. It is, an, it is a mixed multitude. It wasn't just Israelites that were delivered. Did it include Egyptians? Well, there's evidence for it. Exodus 9, 20 through 21, but also in Leviticus 24, 10. And so there's a judgment in Egypt, but there's a grace that's extended to both Israelite and Egyptian. And what God is showing us here even now, even however many thousands of years later, is that at, at his heart, God intends to have for himself a multitude of nations. He intends to have for himself a people comprised of a multitude of nations. In fact, this is why the Bible ends the way it does, right? The Bible ends with God looking out over a people from where? From every tongue, from every tribe, from every nation. And what are they all doing? They're worshiping him as Lord. They're worshiping him in the way that he has always intended for himself to be worshiped, right? Worthy, worthy, worthy. And the next line is really important in light of this text. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Now, why is that important? <laughs> well, certainly it's a reference to Jesus, but it's also a reference to the Exodus, right? What happens here? What happens in this moment of Passover? Well, God gives instruction to the people of Israel, doesn't he? And what does he say? He says, take for yourself a lamb, one without blemish, one without spot, slaughter the lamb, 
And then he gives them a really odd instruction, right? He says, I want you to take the blood from that lamb and I want you to smear it on your, your doorposts. And that is the way that I will know to have death pass over your household. And so the, the Israelites in Egypt are spared the plague of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn through the blood of the lamb. You know where I'm going with this, right? Centuries, millennia pass and there is another lamb and it is a lamb without blemish or spot. It is this Jesus who we believe, according to the scriptures, lived a sinless life. He lived perfectly before God. He lived according to his laws, according to his statutes. He did, he crossed every T, he dotted every I, he lived perfectly. And yet he arrives at Golgotha to die a sinner's death. His blood is shed. His blood is shed. And why is that important? Well, you see, you and I find ourselves in in not too dissimilar a situation from the Israelites in Exodus 12. In fact, Paul Paul makes it abundantly clear that, that when we are in sin, that if we are in the world, we are beset by sin, and that when we are beset by sin, we are in fact experiencing, enduring a kind of slavery. But Paul tells us that, that, there's, a, that there's a way out, that there, that there is an exodus that's been prepared for us. And it comes to us by the blood of the lamb, by the blood of Jesus. And so what's happening here again is entirely, entirely familiar for us, or at least it should be. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is the one whose blood is spilled so that the death and destruction of sin, the death and destruction of our idolatry passes over our household. You see, Pharaoh as the king of Egypt has a firstborn who dies and the result is darkness. But God, king of the universe, has a firstborn who dies and the result is resurrection. Again, God is setting himself apart from anything we could ever see, know, or understand on this earth in human form. And he's revealing it to us, not only in this moment of Exodus here, but in the Exodus that we've been provided in Christ. And so here's the thing, is God just? Absolutely, sure. Does God make judgment? Yes, absolutely. Is that something that we should be fearful of? Probably. Probably. 
but is God simultaneously merciful? Does God also show mercy? Does he provide a way for us to escape that judgment? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. And here's what I want us to notice just just from all of this. It's very, very simple, but it's crucial to the understanding of our faith. I want you to, want you to picture for yourself one moment. There's, there's two, two guys, two Hebrews, right? It, it's, it's the night of the Passover and they're gonna have a conversation between themselves. And they're kind of, man, you know, this is, this is supposed to be a wild night. Like we heard from Moses, right? That the angel of death is passing through. And, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, like, I'm a little worried about that. I don't want my, my firstborn to die. And the other guy looks at him and he says, well, did you, did you do what Moses told you to do? Did you, did you slaughter the lamb? Did you, did you put the blood over your doorpost? Did you, did you do all of that? And the guy answers, well, yeah, I did, but it doesn't, I mean, it's just a lamb's blood. What, like, I, don't, I, I don't know. It could still get kind of wild. It could still get kind of crazy. How can I trust that God will honor that? How, how, and then the other guy goes, you know what? Hey, I'm cool, man. If God, if God said it, he's gonna do it. I'm good. I, I, I'm, he's got all the faith in the world, Right? In your mind, which one of those two still had a firstborn in the morning? Well, the answer is both, right? The answer is both. The answer is both because salvation, death passing over us, does not come upon us on the basis of the strength of our faith that's exercised. But rather, death passes over us because of that which with, with which we have placed our faith in, that which we have placed our faith in, which is the blood of the Lamb. And so listen, you know, I, I drove here um, this morning and I, I was listening to a particular particular hymn and I you know I don't know how how charismatic y'all are here um, but uh, this is how a charismatic would, would put it I guess I'm betraying my colors a little bit uh, I, it just felt like there was a word felt like maybe specifically there was something God wanted to say to Sojourn Galleria in particular about the Passover and in particular this sort of application of the Passover. Um, and it's funny because I read these words now and I mean, it just, it, it makes me think of this particular night. It's called, How Can I Keep From Singing? And it, and it goes like this. I'm just gonna read uh, one or two of the verses, not the whole thing, but it says this. Although the tempest loudly roars, I hear the truth, it liveth. But though the darkness round me close, songs in the night it giveth. 
No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. Since God the Lord is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? When tyrants tremble sick with fear and hear their death knell ringing, when friends rejoice both far and near, how can I keep from singing? In prison cell and dungeon vile, our thoughts to them are winging. When friends by shame are undefiled, how can I keep from singing? I love this idea that no matter what life throws at us, that no matter what the circumstance may be around us, that we can continue to sing. Why? Well, in Exodus chapter 12, in this hymn, and really throughout the entire Bible, God is saying to us one thing, and that is that He is faithful. He's faithful. And so. <laughs> So regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what may, may be happening around us, whatever might be going on in our day-to-day lives, we can trust that God is faithful. We can trust that if we are, cling- and this is the key, if we are clinging to his promises, we can trust him to be faithful. Now, does that mean that everything's gonna turn out great in the middle of that circumstance? No, I mean, like the Israelites have a long walk ahead of them. A long, exhausting, dry, hot, miserable walk with the same food every morning, right? You got a long way to go. But listen, when you are leaning into the promises of God, you can trust that he will be faithful to you. And so I think when, when we think about that, when we think about, I, I don't know how, to what degree you guys sort of addressed this um, last week, but this idea that, that God chooses, right? In, in, in chapter 11, verse seven, it says that um, God's gonna make a distinction or that he is in the process of making a distinction between Israel and Egypt, right? And, and we know, listen, Israel, we talked about how Egypt isn't guilty. I mean, isn't not guilty, right? That they are, that they are guilty. They're, they're idolaters. They're, they're harsh taskmasters, right? They've oppressed these people, right? There's, there's all these good reasons for why we should want for judgment to come upon the people of Egypt. But, but, but make no mistake, Israel is, is by no means innocent, in fact, the Bible, both in Leviticus uh, chapter 17 and later on in Joshua 24, tells us that in Egypt, the Israelite people were actually busy worshiping the gods of Egypt. It's in Leviticus as, as God is giving this Exodus people commands and laws to live by that he says, listen, don't go back to worshiping the gods of the Egyptians. So Israel's mixed up in this idolatry too. They've got, they've got sin on them. They're broken. They're in need as well. And yet the distinction that God is making is a distinction between people who hear the promises of God and lean into them. 
And we know, we know, even from this text, that there were some Egyptians too who escaped this judgment, who were given exodus, who were passed over, who passed out of the land of Egypt, who escaped the tyranny of Pharaoh, who escaped the tyranny of that place. And so I, there's, a, there's a million reasons that um, that idea maybe of God choosing is uncomfortable. Um, and we, we can't get into all of them right now, but I, I do think there's a great joy to be found in it. One, um, because God tells us there is, um, quite simply. Uh, that's, a, that's always a good clue. Um, but then beyond that, what, what it also means is that again, there's not like, it's, it's not like we have to try to manufacture something. It's not, it's not, man, God, you know, God's gonna give us his promises, but I just have to believe them hard enough, right? Like again, the Lord passes over any household with the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Whether there's great, great faith, I mean, rock, rock hard, solid, unshaken faith in that house or whether there's doubtful <laughs> crawling obedience in that household. And so I love what, what um, is said in Jude at the conclusion. It says this, um, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And so again, if we're leaning into the promises of God, it does not matter what our current circumstance is, even if our current circumstance is one that accuses us of great sin so long as we turn, believe in his promises that he is in fact able to keep us from stumbling, that he is in fact able to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy because the blood of the lamb has been applied to us. How can I keep from singing? how can I keep from singing of that kind of grace, that kind of glory, that kind of kindness, that kind of judgment? If it's a particularly difficult season for you, if it's a season of a million questions, if it's a season of doubt, if it's a season of despair, if it's a season of uh, you name it. I 
don't know how many pages your Bible is. I don't even really know how many mine are. It's thousands though. Um, and, and on every one of them, God is saying to you that he's faithful, that he's faithful to keep his promises. And so let's lean into what those promises are. And listen, again, those promises are given to, to Israel with a purpose. And I'm gonna read some verses that as a conclusion might not make any sense initially, but they're important. This is what it says. He's telling the Israelites to prepare for this evening. And in verse 11, he says this, in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it with haste. It is the Lord's Passover. He's telling the Israelites that yes, salvation is coming. Yes, it has nothing to do with you. It is the blood of the lamb that, <laughs> by which death now pass over, passes over you and, and be ready. Be prepared. There's something for you. I'm calling you out. There's work to be done. There's a journey to be undertaken. And so make no mistake, this is no, hey, like I'm just gonna take care of all the Egyptians. Y'all hang out in your house. And then, you know, when, when everything's said and done, like you just relax. No, he's calling, the, he's not only calling them out of Egypt, he's calling into, them into something. And I think there's just this, this wonderful interplay between what's happening here and Romans uh, chapter nine, which some of you guys are like, he's going to Romans nine for his conclusion? <laughs> yes. And this is, this is what it says. Romans nine, uh, starting in verse 10. Not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, that is Abraham's son. You guys remember Abraham, right? Okay. Um, Though they were not yet born, had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So again, God saving us in spite of ourselves. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then God has mercy on whomever God wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? So again, here we have this moment where this is God God doing what God does. He is rescuing a people who don't deserve to be rescued in Egypt. He's setting them free by his choice, according to his mercy, according to his kindness, But then what? In Romans 10, we're told that if we're those people, right, if death is passed over us through the blood of Jesus, if we're those people that have been called out of our slavery and into the new land, if we're those people, then what are we to do? 
Well, it says this in 10, 11, chapter 10, verse 11 of that same letter to the Romans. Everyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, will not be put to shame for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Get this, fasten your belt, put your sandals on. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Brothers and sisters, death passing over us through the blood of Jesus is wonderful. Being invited into new life with him is glorious and great and good. And yet we've been called to fasten our belts, put on our sandals and run towards those who have yet to be added to this multitude of nations that the Lord is bringing together. And so listen, if you're new to Sojourn, this is what we've always said. We are joining the Father, the Son, the Spirit in the historic work of redemption. God has been redeeming people since the fall. We're just a part of that. And we're running into that together. And what that looks like for us, what it looks like for us to tie up our sandals, fasten our belts, be prepared. And to go is to make disciples, to multiply parishes and to plant churches. That's just, that's just ways that we can understand what that means for us to go and to preach the gospel. And so look, you guys have the great joy and privilege very soon of sending out a church plant from here to bring Passover, to bring Exodus, to bring release from slavery, to bring invitation to the land of plenty, to bring joy and glory and God's kindness and God's mercy to another part of our city. That is a glorious joy and privilege that we've been given. And so, yes, this morning, brothers and sisters, I, again, I don't know if, if that song was, maybe it was just for me. Maybe I just needed to hear that. Life has been hard this last year. Rest, enjoy the mercy of God. Know that death passes over, not because of how great your faith is, but because of how great Jesus is. Know all of those things. And at the same time, be prepared to walk into the difficulty and the struggles of people who are walking through the same things you're walking through without the peace and joy and knowledge that the Lord, sovereign of heaven and earth, has sent Jesus that they might be rescued, that they might enjoy his inheritance, his goodness, his kindness for all of the remaining eternal days. That's the joy and privilege that we have together this morning. That's the joy and privilege that you and I share, even though we don't share the same congregation. It's a joy to be part of this family with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together. Uh, Again, Lord, we're just um, grateful for your kindness to us. We're grateful for the work of your son, Jesus, through whose blood we have escaped death. Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Not with us. Because for those of us who suffer with a suffering like Jesus, we will also be raised 
in the way that Jesus was raised to a new inheritance, to new life in Christ with you. And we look forward, Lord, to sharing that space, that place with a multitude of nations, people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we thank you that it will only be on account of the grace and the kindness of Jesus to them and to us. And so as we share this table now, Lord, may we be reminded that this is just a foreshadowing. This is just a taste, a small and meager taste of the table that we will share in glory. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.